I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. I had a cup of tea with lemon Mm -hmm. and local honey. Really? In fact, this honey couldn't get more local (laughs) because... I'm sure some of it came from the hives that are on our farm. You have uh, hives on your farm? Yeah, but I'm not a beekeeper. Mm -hmm. I am just the recipient and grateful user of fantastic honey from Plum Branch Honey. Ah. But, you know, in fact, keeping bees is is a bit of a, I don't know, it's like an art and a science. And it's just kind of almost mystical. Mm -hmm. I mean, the bees are humming all around all summer long. Dancing and... Yeah, yeah, and I know that you come across them in your hay fields, certainly. Sure. You know, on the, on the herbs in our farm, they are like forever there. And I love when August comes because they congregate around the chives. Oh, really? Hundreds and hundreds of bees in a tiny area just huh. loving the hives and the lemon balm, the hyssop. I mean, it's just like they're like all over. Now, it is an art and a science, and we have with us here this morning in studio, we have Arlen and Mona Ziegler, who are the beekeepers of Plum Branch Honey, the hives that are, in fact, on our farm. Wow. So, good morning. Morning. Good morning. I'm so glad that you made it here. You know, Arlen, it's always been a lot of fun to see you and Mona come in your pickup truck. Uh, periodically throughout the year as you inspect your hives. And I always make sure to stay away for, <laughs> at a distance because the, the bees are kind of floating through the air and I know that you've got some protective gear on. So let me ask you, how did you get started? When, when did you start keeping bees? Well, this has been, this will be our, I believe our eighth year. Um, kids grew up, moved away. She just she asked, you know, if we should, what do you want to do for uh, a hobby? So she, her dad had bees. She's got uh, a couple brothers that have bees. And we decided we'd give it a try and see what happens. So, Mona, it was the sweetness flowing through your family tree. Yes. <laughs> that instigated this activity. All right, so eight years ago. Now, so, Mona, had you had a lot of experience or familiarity with keeping bees? No, not at all. Okay, so both of you are starting with a kind of a clean slate here. Yep, brand new. Yeah, we knew what honeybees were and how good they are for the environment, but other than that, we did not have any idea what was involved. Oh my gosh. Okay, so then how did you get started? Where did you start at all in, in this endeavor? Uh, we pretty much just started... Um, Doing as much research as we could online. Uh There's a ton of information online, (laughs) a ton of books, magazines, whatever we could find about honeybees. We just grabbed it or read it. 
Right. Now, were you apprehensive? Were you a little frightened at all for dealing with animals? You know, because it's a, it's a they're tiny, but they're livestock. Um, with kind of that whole idea of being stung by a bee. No, actually, not the first year when we got our first two hives. Um, we actually sat within two feet of the entrance of the hive, and we just sat there and we watched them pretty much all summer. Huh. They are so busy doing what they need to do that they pretty much don't care what we're doing. <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know because I just love having your hives on our farm, Bullbrook Cape. Um, you know, and you've got it nicely fenced off with an electric fence so that our cows would not kind of disturb your bees. I'm sure that the cows did not want to disturb any bee. No, they're just curious. They're, they're, and it, yes. And it's not so much the cattle we're trying to keep out. It's the bears. Oh. Bears are a big problem for honeybee hives. And everybody thinks they go after the honey, which actually they don't. What do they, they are do? after the brood inside the hive. Uh, the bees that are developing into honeybees, the larvae, because it's all pure protein. I had no idea. You know, I was of the Winnie the Pooh kind of of Well, that, that <laughs> actually, that part of it sounds better than, you know, it, well, yeah, they go for the honey versus the little, the little larvae worms in there. Right. The honey sounds better, but they actually do go for the protein. All right. One Myth bubble popped this morning on Deep Roots Radio. That's good. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. You know, and we do have bears all around where we live. You know, and you and I are living in the same city, Clear Lake. Um, certainly, I live by a brook, so the bears are attracted to that. Uh, they need water. Yep. They Every, go- everything needs water. The honeybees like it too because there is accessible water that close to them. Wow. Okay, so you started off with two hives. Where did you get your starter brood or starter honeybee? I mean, how do you go about that? Uh, we just, the first couple of years, we just bought packages. Um, and there's a lot of suppliers actually around fairly close where you can get a package of honeybees. Mm-hmm. And they come in a screen box and it's either two pound or three pounds of honeybees with a queen bee in a queen cage. Oh my gosh, that's a box, a cage within a cage. Pretty much, yep. So why is the queen isolated from the rest of the bees? In she's, that- a, she's a new queen mm-hmm. um, to those bees. And if they don't, if they're not together long enough to know her pheromones, they uh, will actually kill her. Okay. Because she is different than what, what they're, they're used to. Got it. Okay. So we keep her in a queen cage for a couple days. And as soon as they let her out of that, it's got a little candy plug they'll chew through and they'll let her out. And within about three days, she's out and they're all friends and she is the queen then. Wow. So that's really well kind of orchestrated, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you say that there are numbers of of sources Mm -hmm. of these bees. And when you get a package like that with the queen in her own little separate cage in the middle. How many bees come in that kind of a package? You said two pounds and three pounds. But what, how many bees or animals are we talking about? There's probably three to 5,000 bees. In that package? In, in that little little box that you get, yep. So when you start a hive, you need that many bees to really get it going? Uh, your, your chances are better. The more bees you have, because everybody has their own duties that they do, the more bees that you have, 
the the better odds you have. Okay. So you talked about duties. All right. So that that brings to mind that there's not just one kind of function that the bees have within a hive. Correct. So what's what's the role of the queen? The queen, her sole purpose is to lay eggs. That's, that's it. That's pretty much all she does. Um, when a, you get a, a good queen that, that starts into laying really good, she will lay 1,500 to 2,000 eggs a day. And that's all she does. Sounds like a full-time job. Uh, yes, it would be. <laughs> okay. All the other bees, the nurse bees, they take care of the queen. They feed her. They groom her. She does not have to do anything except lay eggs. So she's got her own little court. Mm-hmm. And they feed her. Yep. So she never goes flying out. Nope. nope. She goes out. Um, okay. So let's say you have a young bee, a, mm-hmm. new, a virgin bee. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, to lay eggs... Those her her um, genetic material has to be fertilized. Mm-hmm. So what does she do? There's there's one flight that she takes. She will go out on mating flights. Okay. Um, and she will find a drone congregation area where there's hundreds to thousands of drones, and she will fly into that area, and she will mate with up to they say fifteen to twenty different drones. And then when she comes back to the hive, she stores everything. She comes back to the hive. And within, I don't know, probably a week or so, she starts laying eggs. And once she starts laying eggs, unless they decide to swarm, she will never leave the hive again. Okay. Well, that's quite the picture. So the Virgin Queen goes out, finds her. It's like going to a club mm-hmm. and finds that swarm of drones. Now, those drones, you mentioned that there could be hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. They're not from her hive, though. No, she will not mate with any drones from her hive. That way there is, there's no inbreeding. And it's all about different genetics. Wow. They are pretty intelligent. <laughs> so let me ask you this, though. You know, honeybees are a specific... Um, domesticated, supposedly, domesticated strain. Mm-hmm. But Wisconsin has like, like over 400 uh, wild breeds of, of bee. Mm-hmm. She's only, she, but she's only uh, mating with other honeybee? Correct. Drones? Correct. So does that mean that we're fortunate in our area that there are many different hives around? And there are actually more hives around than most people realize and this this drone congregation area uh can be up to say 12 miles it's actually quite a ways from her hive because she wants different genetics whoa so the drones will also fly then that far to this area from anywhere around that they can that's amazing so here you've got this column of swirling drones, and she'll fly that far for the mating mm-hmm. flight. And they haven't quite determined how they know where that is yet, but it's usually on like a fence line or a hedgerow, and then the cloud of drones will be a couple hundred feet in the air. And somehow the queens know to go to that kind of an area. So Dave Corbett... So are the drones just kind of hanging out, uh, waiting for a 
-hmm. some action? Or? Yep. That's all a drone does in the hive <laughs> is when they get mature enough, they will every day during the summer when it's nice, you will see all the drones come out and they will all fly to a congregation area somewhere. Really? And wait for a, a virgin queen. So if, that's what's happening mm -hmm. out there. And if they don't find one that day, they come back to the hive and they do it all again tomorrow. <laughs> drones do not, they do not collect any nectar, any pollen. They do not perform any of the housekeeping duties in the hive. Wow. They do not have a stinger. <gasps> and when it comes to winter, they're kind of more or less just freeloaders because they serve no purpose <laughs> to the hive. Right. So then they will actually huh. kick the drones out when it starts to freeze. So they don't have to feed them all winter. <laughs> Job done. Yep. You're done. Yep. But then Whoa. in the spring now, when it starts to get nice again, they will know, the queens will know that they need to start making drone larvae again, laying drone eggs. Wow. So she actually has some control over mm -hmm. what kind of egg is laid? She determines whether it's a fertilized egg. If it's a fertilized egg, it will become a worker bee. Okay. They are all females. Or it's an unfertilized egg, it will be a drone. Hmm. And Why she controls that. She will measure because in the in the hives there's different size cells because the drone is bigger they take a bigger cell. She will actually measure that with her, I think it's her front legs or her antenna, and she can determine how big that cell is as to what kind of egg she puts in there, whether it's fertilized or unfertilized. So is the kind of bee that emerges from that cell determined by the size of the cell or by the egg that she lays? Kind of both. Kind of both. Because I know that in other animals that, that the temperatures at which you know, the eggs are laid or the fertilization takes place can often determine the sex of the, of the ultimate uh, progeny. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. I had like no idea. So all of the workers are female, mm -hmm. which again doesn't surprise me in the least. <laughs> <laughs> and so what, what kind of work do those worker bees do? They do everything for the hive. When they are born more or less to, chew their way out of a cell, yeah. they will actually turn around and clean the cell out so the queen can actually just keep laying eggs. Makes and sense. And then they just graduate to different, as they get older, they graduate to different duties in the hive. And when it comes time, um, their last final job is actually a field bee where they will collect nectar or pollen. Or water. And this is, or water. And this is all in the summer. It's all within a six-week period. That's how long they live? That's how long they live in the, wow. in the summer. Whoa. They work so hard, they will actually fly their wings off. And their last final act is they will actually fly out of the hive to go die somewhere else so nobody has to take them out of the hive. Wow. Man, talk about working for community. Mm -hmm. It's all about the hive. It's not about the individual. Hmm. That is just amazing. Okay, so they live six weeks and play all these roles. Mm -hmm. um, does a new queen ever get emerged from mm -hmm. that from, if, from that brood? If the hive, and it's the general consensus of the whole hive, if they decide they don't have enough room in their 
in their hive, they will actually, they will have the queen, they will have her lay eggs in a queen cup, which is just a different cell that they build out, and the workers themselves will actually make that into a queen cup to make a peanut to make a new queen. Oh, so it's the hive. Mm-hmm. And when creates when that, a special cell. Yep. And when that peanut gets to a certain age, they will chase her around and not let her lay any eggs for a couple days so she can slim down enough to where she can fly. And then she will take half of the hive of bees and they will leave. Man, so as a beekeeper, okay... Do you want that to happen, or do you just make those hives bigger so that you can have more bees in them? Well, it's it's kind of a six of one, half a dozen of the other. You know, you want a big hive so you can get honey production out of them, but you don't want them too big, otherwise they swarm. And if they leave, if you don't catch them, well, there's another colony of bees somewhere out in the wild then, hopefully. Okay, okay, so... When you manage your hives, are you inspecting them all the time to, to sort of figure out, you know, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. We look through, um, and you can tell, we try to go into ours about no longer than every two weeks because it only takes 16 days for a new queen to emerge. Wow. So once the egg is laid, it only takes 16 days for that Mm-hmm. New bee to emerge from mm-hmm. a cell. How do you know that they've? Uh, because a queen cell is is the frames are built vertically, mm-hmm. and a queen cell in a peanut actually will get to be they'll get to be about an inch inch and a half long, and they get a, oh some of them will get a big round as my thumb here, mm-hmm. and they're built kind of away from the rest of the. Yep, they structure. usually build if they're a swarm. They're usually down at the bottoms of the frames. Okay. And if they're a supersedure, for some reason they just decided they don't like that queen, they're going to make a new one. They'll actually put those up from the middle up on the frames. So what do you do when you see that happening? Uh, swarm cells? Well, usually first thing most people do is panic. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> because it's, once, once they get into swarm mode, it's really hard to stop them from swarming. Okay. You can pull the queen out. And a couple frames of brood and put her in another box and then just leave those swarm cells in there. And hopefully one of those, because the first one out will usually go around and sting all the rest because there can only be one queen. Uh. And if she goes out and gets mated and comes back, um, then you've got a laying queen and everything should be back to normal. Mm. Okay, so one of the things I think, and this is kind of really going back and, and retracing a little bit, for people who don't know what a hive looks like, mm-hmm. you know, I know it's not the easiest thing to describe, but the hive does not look like anything that you've ever seen in Winnie the Pooh, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is not this little muffin-shaped thing. A hive is a box. Correct. So, when you first take a look at it, it's a box that's actually got a square lid on it. And the box can be how how deep? Uh, that depends on the beekeeper. 
Uh, we usually run two deeps, which is two brood boxes. Uh, the boxes are 16 and a quarter by 20. Okay. And then inside that box, there are frames that hang vertically that have the honeycomb on them for building, making the brood. For They do store honey, nectar, um, oh. pollen okay. around the outside edges of where they have a big half moon shape from the bottom up of brood. Okay. So let's, let's go back a little bit because, okay, so a frame... Everybody out there who has never seen the inside of a, of a hive. A frame looks like what, was it, what would have been an old screen window, all right? The kind of thing that you would put up against your, your window or think of it even as a window, a square window. But instead of having glass on the inside, you've got the ability to actually build the honeycomb, mm-hmm. right? You've got the ability to build the honeycomb. And... You call these frames, what are they called? Now, you, you called them a frame, but then you also said supers. Well, there's a difference between, there's, we, we run two brood boxes, mm-hmm. which is where they raise all the bees. Okay. And then above that, we will have honey supers, which are the same size, they're just shorter. Okay. And those, hopefully, they will fill with honey. Okay. We use shorter boxes for supers. Because a, f- a full box of honey will weigh 40 pounds. Those things get really, really they heavy. Get very heavy. Very, very heavy, which is so delicious. Um, and so you, you actually have frames that are, that are uh, situated kind of one on top of another, so they're kind of vertically mm-hmm. going up. Okay, the bottom ones are used for the breeding. For the brood, yep, to raise, the, raise the young bees, yep. And the top ones are the ones that hold the honey. We hope. You hope, you <laughs> hope. And so how many of these frames might you have in a there's hive? There's usually in a, in a standard box, there's 10 frames. Okay. And those all are maintained. They have a, a bee space in them, which they have found is the optimal bee space for bees to crawl through that they can get through, but they won't fill it full of burcomb. Full of what? Burcomb. Anything bigger than bee space, which is, I believe, about three-eighths of an inch, they will try to get that, they will build comb in it to narrow it down so it's their optimal bee space. Oh, okay. So anything bigger than three-eighths is usually full of burcomb that just, creates headaches for us. Because it's wax. It's just wax. Yeah, in there. wax that um, they've spent time and energy making that burr comb when we actually want them to spend that time and energy to make honey. Okay. I get it. Wow, they're so affected by the size of things mm-hmm. and by the temperature and the sunlight of things. Yep. Now, that makes me think then of the winter of things. Because all of us love to think about bees, you know, flying from one, you know, blossom to the next. But you as a beekeeper, you've got to think about, so what am I going to do this winter? You know, Mm -hmm. how do you maintain hives through late fall until, you know, the daffodils come up? Well, how do you how do you deal with winter and and hives? Well, um, usually, uh, the goldenrod is goldenrod and asters are about the last flowers for the year, right? Um, so we will try to actually start feeding them 
two to one sugar syrup. So it's thicker than it's not as thick as honey, but it's closer to honey. So they don't have to dry it down as far. And we try to feed them as much as we possibly can of that in the fall before it freezes. Okay. So they can fill their frames up of what they think they will need for the winter. So they actually build up their own storehouse mm-hmm. for winter. And that's actually what their honey is, what they think they will need to get through the next winter. Uh, so when so. we take the honey, we actually we want to give them something back so they can hopefully make it through the winter. Okay. So what's the biggest challenge about taking a hive through winter? Is it is it the temperature? I mean, is that I mean, that's what it would seem to me. It, it it's kind of everything. Um, you know, temperature plays a big part. Uh, the mite treatments play a big uh, part. Um, mites to a bee are like a wood tick to us. Okay. You know, it's not so bad that you have the wood tick or they have the mite, but it's the, all the diseases that the mite carries. Got it. You know, that's kind of like us with a wood tick and limes. Right. Okay. That's so a great analogy. So honeybees have the same thing. If you can get the mites under control and we can feed them enough in the fall, and then we will wrap them up, and we just wrap them up with Reflectix, and we will seal that up, that hive up tight, except for an entrance at the bottom, mm-hmm. because then that's considered a condensing hive. Okay, so let me, let's go back. So you wrap up the hive in Reflectix, mm-hmm. and describe what that is. Uh, it's air, um, it's like, kind of like foil, the shipping um, air bubble shipping packing that you get, yeah. except it's it's got like a reflective coating on the inside and the out. It's more or less just to help, help keep heat in and drafts out. Okay. So you don't heat the hives nope. then? Nope. So what keeps them warm enough so that anything stays alive? Well, hopefully, if we've did our job good enough in the fall, there's enough bees in there, they will actually keep that 70 degrees in there all winter. How do they generate the heat? Uh, they flex their wing muscles if they need to. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm. So even in the winter, those little bees are kind of moving around and flexing their wing muscles. We hope. If, if, if we've done our job well enough here in the fall, over winter, there will be, there will be enough bees in there that they don't have to actually cluster into a tight ball. Ah, uh, Okay. Okay. Um, when they cluster into a tight ball, they will keep, they will cluster and they will make a ball around all any brood that they have and the queen. Okay. Because they want to keep her alive because if she dies, they die. Got it. So they're protecting the core. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So do you need to, to provide them with water? Uh, we do. To start with in the fall, we'll put a little dish on top of ours that have water. We'll put that inside a sugar board more or less that we dump 10 pounds of dry sugar on top once we seal up the hive and they we start getting into winter with some temperature changes it's a condensing hive so any moisture that comes off of the bees will condensate on the outside edges and then that's where they get their water that they need for the whole winter and to process the dry sugar man what a system Mm. It, it's involved. <laughs> Holy cow! I'm glad you're doing it um, because it it does sound quite involved. Dave Corbett, did you have a question at the? Yeah, point? you mentioned mites. Um, is that uh, an ongoing problem or? Mm-hmm. 
mites are, are probably one of the biggest problems that beekeepers have now. Hmm. Um, it, they're so hard to get, just like a wood tick, they're hard to get rid of, mm-hmm. you know, and they're everywhere. And just because we treat our bees doesn't mean that we don't know of somebody a mile or two down the road that doesn't treat mm. their bees. And if they uh-huh. have mites, well, everybody kind of knows where the bees at least mm-hmm. know where the other hives are. Got it. And it only takes one to transfer a mite, and then you have a mite explosion. Wow. wow. So there's more than one kind of mite that they're... At, at this point, the varroa mite is the biggest headache for us and everywhere in the country. There is a new mite that they're starting to look for that was from overseas, and I don't know if they've found any of it here yet in the U.S., and Jeez. I don't remember the name. It's about that long. <laughs> oh, the name of the mite. Yeah, the yeah. name of the mite. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's better for a scientist. <laughs> okay. Mm. Well, how many... Now, you started out with two mm-hmm. hives. How many do you have now? Uh, this last last year, in 23, we ended up with 28 that we wrapped up and put to bed for winter. Okay. And All right. at this point, we've been kind of checking and feeding if we need to... Um, and we won't know until actually March or April till the ni- weather gets nice of how many actually made it. Man. Wow. Holy cow. So your beekeeping business is called Plum Branch Honey. Mm-hmm. Can people find it for sale anywhere? Or do uh, they have to contact you directly? Yep, more or less just us. Okay. We're, you know, we're just trying to do it from home. So. Sure, sure. So how do they get a hold of you? How, how would anybody kind um, of find you? Are you on Facebook or? Well, I I'm not really really good at the electronic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. You know the honey stuff, and that's that's yeah. a lot. Um, at this point, it's just pretty much word of mouth. Wow, is how we're doing it. Okay, well, you guys out there listening, you know who I am, so you can get a hold of me, and I'll get a hold of them if you want to look for some honey. Wow, so, do you have any available? Yes, and we do not do anything to the honey. We warm it up when we extract it, uh, just the boxes, because at about to hive temperature, it makes it way easier to extract. It just, it flows better. It works nicer. Otherwise, we strain out the big bee parts, yeah. the big wax parts, and that's it. And there's so, so there's pollen. We hope there's not any little pea parts in there. I have not discovered any. But there, there is pollen and stuff in there that you can see, so everything is natural. We don't do anything to it. Right. Outstanding. Outstanding, because I know one of the things that in herbalism that you talk about is, um, you know, what can you do to help with, with seasonal allergies? Mm-hmm. And a common practice is to actually ingest local honey because that will help you build up the, the inner strength to deal with mm-hmm. allergies. Because it has your local honey that's local to you or local pollen right. from your local plants, and it does help with allergies. Yeah. And so, you know, and I can attest that as a, as a burgeoning herbalist here, one of the things that I do use a lot is goldenrod. And goldenrod is good for allergies, even though uh, some people blame it for uh, hay fever. It is not what causes hay fever. It's ragweed that causes hay fever. Yep. And so, man, this is a, this, it's food is medicine. Yep. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you both for being with us here on Deep Roots Radio today. This was a lot of fun. Well, thank you very much for having us. Oh, you bet. And I look forward to seeing the bees start to emerge. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.